and my glasses. But in my vanity, I bought a pair of glasses that aren't strong enough to read by, but they look good with the shirt. So I figured, oh, well, vanity of vanity, all is vanities. Two sessions ago, we talked about what to do when God doesn't come through. And we realized that God does come through. Paul on his journey said, there stood, me, stood by me this night the angel of the Lord, whose I am, whose I serve, and who I believe, that said, all lives will be saved. And aren't you glad that God is in control, even if sometimes he feels like a million miles away? Sometimes you feel like there's walls of brass and ceilings of iron, and you don't feel like your, your, your prayer gets beyond the ceiling tile. Can anybody relate to those when you've prayed all you know to pray, you confess all you know to confess, You've called every prayer line. You've called every friend. You even called a few enemies just to try to get some kind of some kind of suggestion, some kind of hope, something. And when you've done all there is to do, that's when God comes through. When we do the possible, look at somebody say, "When we do the possible, God does the impossible." Lemuel Miller, World Karate Champion, taught me that if I will make the effort, God will bless the effort. And if you'll get out of the box, get off your duff, and decide you're going to do some things of God. Sometimes just moving. You may not be moving in the right direction, but the fact that you're moving, God can steer you. Uh, I know none of you have ever 10-pin before, but 10-pin is where you have three horses, three riders, you have 10 cattle, and you draw three numbers, and those three numbers you have to, you have to separate, cow number one, cow number five, and cow number seven. You have to separate them and take them back to a post. One person stays there and keeps the cows there. Another person goes and, and collects the cows at that I don't know what that had to do with my message, but I'm sure that it was important. Something about seeking out what God has for us and not giving up and staying the course. If God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Does that help anybody? If God said it, that settles it, I believe it. Last session, we talked about not being able to find God because we thought he was lost. Job said, I'd like to find him. I'd like to contend with him. I know he would hear my case. I know he'd have mercy on me. I can't find him. He's not in front of me. He's not behind me, not to my left, to my right. But he knows the path I take. And when he's done trying me, I shall come forth as pure gold. We know life is full of trials. Life is full of tests. Sometimes we feel like that we're in a skillet. The heat's applied. And the more that gold is stirred, the more dross rises to the top. We felt a few weeks ago had a great victory. God did some great, incredible things. And we felt like we've been stirred. We've been tried come out with pure gold. And then this week, uh, people, people said some horrible, unkind, untrue, completely false things about us, our life, our ministry. And you come to a place where you say, when, when is enough enough? I mean, when, when, when does it stop? When, is it, when does it cease? And, of course, I called my elders, and I had the privilege of sharing the Job 23. Pastor Billy had never seen that about being ahead of God, behind God, so I got to share a little bit with him. Lemuel told me things were looking better and so I, I, I believe those that I surround. We mark the Johns in our life, the ones that do not abandon us. They say they're with us. We value their input. And sometimes we all need someone we can lean on. Can anybody relate? Sounds like a song I should write. We all need somebody that we can lean on. I'm glad you're here today for me to depend upon you. You're here today for, for you to depend upon me. Hopefully I have an on-time word, a word for you right now. And the thought or the theme today is we've talked about God when he doesn't come through, talked about God when he's lost. Today, I want to talk about God's not lost. Hello? He's jealous. He's not lost. He's jealous. I cannot 
ever remember. I really tried to reflect really hard. I can't ever really remember ever being jealous over Pastor Rhonda. I don't ever remember anybody flirting with her or giving her attention or I've, 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 I've never... I've, I've never been there. There's never been a, a season or a window, but I have been around people that are so insanely jealous, they scare you when they tell you how jealous they are. Can anybody, I mean, it's, it's a scary jealousy. It's a, you know, I'm, I'm going to kill you if you do this, or I'm going to, and it's like, I, I, can't, I can't grasp that kind of jealousy because I've never had really a hero or a mentor in my life other than my dad, so there was no there's no preacher I'm jealous over. There's, there's really, I've enjoyed life. I've enjoyed playing games. I've enjoyed racquetball. I've enjoyed golf and hunting and fishing. And there's not really anybody that, I, I, there's many that do it better than me, but I've never wanted to do it better. I've just wanted to have fun. I mean, girls want to have fun. Guys want to have fun. I never have been so focused in something that it was more important than anything else in my life until I found myself divorced, drug addict, bondage. Then I focused I realize there's something more important than me, and that's God. We have learned that inside of every one of us, several years ago, I planted some perennials, watered them, spoke over them, did everything you're supposed to do, and they didn't come up. I meant to throw them away. I didn't. I stuck them on the side of the house. Water got to them. Rain got to them. The second year, that bulb exploded and had a, a beautiful lily. And I thought, how about that? How many times have I thrown things away that had the ability to burst forth and bud and I didn't give it a chance. On the inside of each one of us, there's an incorruptible seed. Every one of us, without exception, race, color, culture, every one of us are the seed of Adam and Eve. And we know that Adam and Eve are the seed of God. So in reality, although there's been a lot of, a lot of speculation over the term sons of God, we're not, we're not baby gods, we're not baby Jesus, but we are adopted in the family of God as sons and daughters of God, inside of each one of us, there's a, there's a part of God that's trying to get out. I remember several years ago, Paula White came to our church and she had a box. I don't know how to remember that, but that box, you push a little button and there's a voice on the inside of the box saying, let me out of here, let me out. Anybody ever seen that box? It's really a cool box and, it, and there's nobody really in there, but it shakes like there's someone in there. there there's, a, there's a part of God on the inside of you that's trying to get out. There's a part of God on the inside of you that wants to grow. There's a part of God on the inside of you that wants to instruct you, wants to bless you. And sometimes God will use the weirdest ways to bless and to encourage. I know there have, there's been, I'll speak in code here, but there's been controversy sometimes over who we allow to represent us in the legal world. And I remember reading the story of Moses that the, the magicians of Pharaoh threw their staff on the ground and created a snake. Hello? Moses threw his staff on the ground and his snake ate their snake. Sometimes God will use snakes in your life to eat the snakes that are trying to devour you. Am I making sense to anybody in the building? Sometimes God will use things that are so far out, so far-fetched, so far, I mean, the water's bitter, you put salt in it, turns sweet, the ax head floats. I mean, there's so many, there's so many things in the Bible that you look and you realize, I wish I would have been a fly on the wall when Moses was talking to the burning bush. I wish I'd have been there when Daniel spent the night with the lion. I wish I'd have been there when God parted the Red Sea. And I'm going to guess Pastor Ron has thought Wednesday night's going to be stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, where God told him to go forward and told him to wait. Maybe not. 
But, but there are so many great clips in the Bible that I believe there's going to come a day when we are in heaven, and I believe we're going to go on that internet of the sky, and we're going to plug in David and Goliath, and we're actually going to relive and see David kill that Goliath. Wouldn't that be cool? But I wonder how many times God's going to push buttons in our life to show us the Goliath that, that we did not run from, that the battles that we did not shun, the enemy that we did not ignore, the times when we did everything we knew to do, we just stood, we just stood. And the word says it is banner over me is love, and we stood in the banner of what God has for us or what God is saying to us. But God is a jealous God. In 1 Samuel 15, 23, most of you know the story. The people demanded a king. God didn't want them to have a king. He wanted them he wanted them to love him as, as their king, but he gave them a king. He, he picked Saul out. Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else, probably the Michael Jordan of basketball. He was tall. God chose him. And when Saul was little in his own eyes, he did great things. But Saul came to a place in his life where he completely disobeyed God. And there's, there's a reason why God wants to eliminate stuff in your life so it can't come back later and bite you in the hiney. The reason that God wanted to eliminate all the Agiites, King Agag, and all of that generation, because he knew in that generation there was a seed of evil that would try to destroy the Messiah and the people of God. Several hundred years later, there's a young lady by the name of Esther. You know the story. She was selected to be the queen. She became the, the king's wife. And as she, she was performing her duties as the queen, there was a plot against her, all of her people, Mordecai, that plot came from Haman, and guess where Haman was from? He was an Agiite. See, there are a lot of things that we encounter and we deal with that God wanted to eliminate a long time ago. There's some people in my life that when I meet them, I want to say that one of the differences between you and me, there's no skeletons in my closet. Hello, I live in a glass house. I mean, there are no secrets. There are no, and, and, and when you live in that particular place in your life, you're a lot more vulnerable when you open yourself up to try to help people, the people you think you're trying to help, they actually want to ma manipulate and abuse and take from you. And it's a, it's a, I guess the word I'm looking for, I read it last Sunday in Dr. Seuss's book, life is a great balancing act. There is balance in life. This morning, I'm, I'm going to share with you, and I shared some of this with the guys a little early in the week, and I think I freaked them out, but I have learned 58 years of life I have learned there are other gods in my life besides Jehovah. And I don't believe that that is a negative. The first commandment that God gave the nation, the people, the generation, the world, thou shall have no other gods before me. In other words, don't put anything in between you and I. People that don't go to church because of a hypocrite, that hypocrite is actually closer to God than they are because that hypocrite is between them and God. Does that make a lot of people say, I don't want to go to church because it, the only place you're going to find hypocrites is in church. You're not going to find a hypocrite in a bar. Hello. You're not going to find a, you're not going to find a, you, you, you get my drift. So that's the only place you're going to find them. That's where you go and you love on them. You tell God to kill them. You, you kill them and tell God they died. However that, however that works out. I sure don't want to be quoted saying that I got enough stuff right now. I don't need any more. My plate is full. Believe me. But in this balance, I want to talk about this balance because 2 Corinthians 9 and 16 says that, we are the temple of God. We are the dwelling place of God. And when I think of the temple of God, and I think about how God made me, God made me in three parts. He made me in the form of a triangle. 
I am, the, I am in the part of a body. There's a soma. There's a physical body here. I am made in the, in the form of a psyche, the mental. I have the mental or the solely side. And then I'm made in the suki, the spiritual, that there's a hunger in me to pursue the things of God. And here's what I have learned. Makeup, jewelry, weightlifting, bench pressing, suntans will satisfy the natural side that we are part of. Studying, learning, graduating, putting, putting information to work, that will satisfy the mental part that we were created. But physical and mental will never satisfy the spiritual. Nancy Harmon, when I was 16 years old, came to my school, had a, had a reformation. I remember in that week they sang that song, only Jesus can satisfy your soul. So if you're trying to satisfy that spiritual side with the natural, it won't work. If you're trying to satisfy that spiritual side with the mental, it won't work. The, the man said, Paul, must, much knowledge hath made thee mad. No, Paul was pursuing the things of God, learning of God, operating the things of God, and he was satisfied. He said, I'm ready to be offered. I've done all that I can do in the kingdom. I'm ready now. I'm going to be beheaded. I'm going to go be with God. I've run the race. I've finished the course. And that should be the goal for everyone in this building today. With that thought in mind, let me tell you a true story. All the stories I tell are true. This one, Pastor David, is true the most. Several years ago, in Detroit, Pastor AC, freezing cold weather, not quite a blizzard, but almost, a Christian businessman left the neighborhood where he lived, pulled out in the intersection, and there on the corner saw a little boy, 12 11, 12 years of age, selling newspapers. He saw the little boy was not dressed very warm. There were holes in his pants. There were holes in his shirt. He didn't have a scarf. He didn't have gloves. He didn't have a, a toboggan on. And, and the businessman realized the little boy had to be cold, stopped the car, rolled down the window, handed the boy a handful of money, said, here, son, I want to buy all your newspapers. You need to go home. It's way too cold for you to be in this weather. You need to go home and get by the fire. And the little boy said, well, thank you, sir, for buying my newspaper. I've never sold all of them in, in one day. Thank you. He said, but I don't have a home. He said, my parents were killed in a car wreck when I was real young, and I've been passed from one family to another, from one foster home to another. In the past several months, I've been living on the street. I've been sleeping on the park bench. I don't, I don't have a house to go home to. When he shared that with that Christian businessman, something overwhelmed that businessman to make him say, son, I want you to go to this house right here in the corner, the one with the big wrought iron, the beautiful stained glass door. I want you to go knock on that door. And when someone opens the door, I just want you to say three words. John 3.16. Little boy handed the man the papers, took the money, put it in his pocket, walked very shyly up this beautiful entry, beautiful narthex, beautiful doors, and he very timidly reached out and knocked on that big oak door. The door was opened by a kindly-looking woman, looked down at the boy and said, Hello, son, what can I do for you? And he looked at her, and he obeyed the businessman, and he said, John 3.16. All of a sudden, a big old smile got on the woman's face, and she said, son, come on inside. It's too cold for you to be out there. Go over there and stand by the fireplace. And Pastor Jeff, there was a fire roaring, and he got as close as he dared, and he turned around. The first time, he'd been warm all winter. The woman came in the room and said, hey, if you're warm, I want you to come in the kitchen. I got a surprise for you walked to the kitchen, and right there on the counter was a big old bowl of soup, a big old stack of crackers, and a tall glass of milk. He said, this is for you. Eat all you want. There's plenty more on the stove. He ate till he thought he was going to pop. She went upstairs for a few minutes and came back and said, hey, if you're done eating, I want you to come upstairs. I've got a surprise for you. He followed on this beautiful spiral oak staircase, 
beautiful paintings on the wall, led him in this beautiful master bathroom, and there was this, this gigantic tub full of hot soapy water. The, the soap was about eight inches high. She said, that's your bath, stay as long as you want. And there on, on the counter, you'll notice some clean clothes, put them on, those are yours. He got that bath, he splashed, he stayed till his, his fingers started wrinkling. He'd been in the water so long. Got out, tried on the clean clothes, they were a perfect fit. As he stepped out of the bathroom, she said, come here, let me show you something. She led in this beautiful master bedroom, beautiful bed, goose down, a bedspread, pillows pulled back, sheet pulled back. She said, son, this is your bed tonight. Matter of fact, I talked to the man that told you to, to knock on the door. He said, you're welcome to stay here as long as you want. Good night. I'll see you in the morning. Walked down the hallway and realized that she forgot to turn the light out. So she walked back in the room and she saw the little boy kneeling at the side of his bed and he was praying. She really shouldn't have listened, but she did. And the little boy said, God, I just wanted you to know before I go to bed tonight, I just want to thank you for John 3.16. God, I'm not sure what John 3.16 says. God, I've never been to church. No, nobody ever taught me the Bible, but I do know this. God, John 3.16 sold all my newspapers. I've never sold all my newspapers. John, God, John 3.16 got me warm by the fire. God, I've been cold all winter long. God, John 3.16 got me a hot meal and I'm full and a hot bath and clean coals. And look, God, my very own bed. God, I just didn't think it was right that I would go to bed and not say thank you for John 3.16. I'm so glad that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. He is particular over you. He is fussy over you. He's jealous over you. He cares what you're going through, and he's promised, I will walk with you, and sometimes he just picks you up and carries you, as per the famous uh, footprints in the sand. We all know the story, and sometimes we feel like God carries us more than we walk. Hello? I remember when, I'm not sure who it was, but one of our, one of our girls had a little baby, and that baby was passed from, from, from church member to church member, love, cuddle, cuddle. I said, you know what? This baby will never learn how to walk because everybody wants to carry this baby. Everybody loves this. I think it was little Nate or whoever it was. And you know what? That's exactly God's love towards us. He loves to carry us. He loves to take care of us. But he knows there are seasons in our life when we're going to have to learn how to walk. When we look at the fact that we are the temple of God, you've got to understand the original temple was made up of three parts. It took them three days to construct it, but in the wilderness, they constructed what was called the tabernacle. And when you stepped into the, the entryway, there's only one door into the tabernacle. When you stepped into the tabernacle in that outer court, there was no curtain, there was no ceiling. Natural sunlight guided the steps of the priest. When he went beyond into the inner courtyard, there was, a, there was a ceiling and there was a menorah, seven candlesticks that directed the footsteps of the priest to the table of showbread and to the altar of the apothecary. When he went beyond the veil, complete dark, because there the priest depended upon the Shekinah glory or the anointed light of God to light the steps of the priest so he could see to apply the sacrifice. Nothing has changed. We are the tabernacle of the Most High God. We walk in the natural. Natural things show us. Natural things embrace us. Natural things teach us. We walk in the enlightenment. We, 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 we are learned. We're able to read. We're able to study. We're able to focus. But every one of us, no matter how natural we are, no matter how mental we are, 
Every one of us needed to depend upon that Shekinah glory of God to direct us and to, and, to, and to show us the way. The Bible says, this is the way, walk ye in it. I remember as I, I put this list together, I realized that this is way too much to try to cover in 30 minutes, so I'm going to take 35 and see if I can cover it. As we are made of three parts, nudge somebody and says the airplane is circling. The man in the control tower said, don't, don't land yet, so we're circling the airport. Pastor David, I want you to know we've got enough gas to circle for a little while. Not a whole lot. A long time, because I'm pretty hungry. I didn't eat this morning. I know that you are, and we're going to have Austin over for Cracker Barrel, so we're all headed somewhere today. But I want you to learn something before you leave this house that may or may not be a blessing to you. Looking at the, using the glasses do not work because I wrote real, real large, and I could, I, could, I could see this page. There's some questions I want to ask you. I really don't believe that God is lost. I really don't believe that God is hiding. I don't believe that God plays hide and seek, although Jeremiah 20, 11 says, call unto me, seek me, and when you find me, search me with all of your, all of your heart. But I, but I believe that there are some things in our life that may have come between us and God. And sometimes by asking questions that you answer mentally on your own, you determine what are some of the more important things of, of life that maybe life's kind of out of order. God's not first, there's other areas in your life that, that you're focusing on. So let me ask a few questions, if I may. First question I'd like to ask you is, what disappoints you the most? What is the one thing or things? Is it marriage? Is it money? Is it children? Is it goals? Is it careers? Is it, is it, is it toys? Is it work? Is it stuff? What, what, what disappoints you in life? Does it disappoint you that you don't have $1,000 every time you come to church to give to the kingdom of God? So that would be a good disappointment. I'd say your, your focus is pretty good. The second question is, what do you, and please, this is, this is mental. No one is to holler out and answer this because I might be the brunt of, of, this, of this question. What do you complain about the most? What do you complain about the most? Your hair's falling out. You're getting the bulge. Your, 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 your job's threatened. This is going on. That's going on. Or do you, or, or do you complain that the sermon didn't last three hours and 10 minutes. Is that one of the things you might complain about? Because that might show where your focus is at. Question number three, where do you make financial sacrifices? Where do you make financial sacrifices? Do you go to Walmart to get a roll of toilet paper and come back with $180 with the fish and lures and forgot to get the, uh, the toilet paper? Or have you made a pledge to Daystar or TBN or Church of the Harvest, and that's where all your money is going. Number four, what worries you? What worries you? What keeps you up at night? What, what, what are you worried about? Are you worried that you didn't win four people to the Lord yesterday? What, what, what is worrying you? Number five, where is your sanctuary? When you're trying to find peace, you're trying to find rest and trying to find hope, is it the refrigerator? Is it Google? Is it Nintendo? Where, 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 where is your sanctuary? Is, is there a private place that you go and find God? Or, 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 or is it those other things that I mentioned? Number six, I know several will love this. What makes you mad? What makes you mad? What, what upsets you? What irritates you? What gets you on your last and your only nerve? What, what, what stresses you out? What makes you mad? And I'll leave that with you. Number seven, what are your dreams? What are your dreams? What are your goals? What, where would you like to be a year from now? 
Where would you like to be five years from now? At the end of the age, when you stand before God, and he says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. What do you want him to be saying well done over? What, what are those dreams? What are those goals? What, what is that destiny that God has for you? None of those things cost anything. I just wanted to leave that with you. In this, in this temple that's made up of three parts, we know that it's made of the natural, the mental, and the spiritual. In the natural realm of the temple, and, and I'll, I'll be very, I promise you, I will blow through these. Each one of these uh, subjects we're going to talk about, we could spend an hour digesting, studying, observing. We're not going to spend about 180 seconds per each thing that we mentioned. But I want to talk about the pleasure temple just for a while. Do you know that God wants you to be happy? Do you know that God allows dopamine to, to flush your body? Dopamine is, is a chemical that your brain produces that causes pleasure. Do you know God wants you to have joy unspeakable and full of glory? Do you know that addiction only does one of two things? It gets you high or it brings you down. It either mellows you out or cocaine, alcohol gets you high. Uh, uh, Xanax, D Demerol, heroin get, get you down. God put those two things, he put the endorphin in your body, he put the dopamine in your body, he put the tryptophan, the melatonin, he allows your brain to wash. God wants you to have those things, and the way to have those things is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. But what happens a lot of time in rebellion, we feel like that God is demanding too much on us, or God's expecting too much, or God wants too much of this, or too much of that, and in our rebellion, we pursue witchcraft. The word in the Hebrew in 1 Samuel 15 and 23, the word witchcraft is the word pharmakia, where we get the word pharmacy. And we don't realize this. I did not realize this. I, I started traveling the nation, teaching on America the addictive. We parents, my parents, their parents, taught us at a very early age to medicate. Every house has one. My grandparents had one. My parents have one. We have one. There's one cabinet in that entire wall of cabinets, the one cabinet that has the NyQuil, one cabinet that has the Benadryl, one cabinet that has the aspirin, one cabinet that has, has this and has that. And at a very early age, we teach our children, oh, you're feeling bad? Let's get some cough syrup. Oh, you can't sleep? Let's take a, let's take a, let's take a Demerol. <laughs> no, no, no. A Benadryl. But when you think about it, the Stones said it so well in 1969 that we go running for the shelter of the mother's little helper. And that entire song is about a housewife going several times a day to the cabinet to medicate to make it through the day. And God is wanting us to pursue that joy, and he's wanting us to give us that peace. But if we're not careful, through artificial stimulation, we'll find ourselves addicted to medication, addicted to drugs, or addicted to whatever, missing everything that, when you, when you talk about joy unspeakable and full of glory, you can't hardly even describe that joy unless you're some kind of spiritual utopia where God has brought you up to where he's at and he touches and you, blesses you, and you feel that rush, or you feel that, you feel that utopia, or you feel that, Am I talking to anybody in this building that has ever touched the heart of God and know what it's like to just be washed with the blood of Jesus and be loved with God and love to dance and love to celebrate, and you've experienced that joy? The song says there's no high like the Holy Ghost high, and I promise you there is not. But there is a, there is a, well, I may as well get out there if we're going to get out there. Let me, let me, let me talk about the three, let me talk about the three gods of pleasure, okay? This pleasure temple God has created us to enjoy. God has created us to be blessed. 
God didn't, God didn't create snow if he didn't know we were going to make snow cream. Okay? God, God, God put those desires in our heart that we, that we love to do things, and there's balance in everything we do. And the first God I want to talk about is the God of food. In eight years of being on the road full-time, I stayed with two types of pastors. Pastors number, pastors number one were the ones that eat to live. They eat to live. Balanced, healthy, wholesome, like Pastor Rhonda. Pastor Rhonda is one of the most balanced no sugar, no blah, blah, what, whatever, that little uh, stuff, sh- stuff she puts in her, what's that called? Stevia, yeah, she's into this stevia. Me, I'm into dumping that white sugar in there, baby, and, and there's about four inches at the bottom. It's sweet enough. Can anybody relate? And if you guys knew how much sugar I put in homemade ice cream, you probably would not eat any more homemade ice cream. But if we're not careful, we'll allow the God of food to shift us from the ability to live to eat to eat to live. There are some people that their whole focus, and listen, since I had colon surgery and I've gained 40, 50 pounds, I had to make a decision. And the decision was, do I put my belt below my belly or to put my belt above my belly? The thought of losing my belly has never occurred to me, nor do I intend it to. I love to eat, and I want to tell you right now at Cook's, they have the Blue Bell Pistachio Ice Cream and Rocky Road, two for one, two gallons for one. And I got two gallons of last night. I ate one-third of a gallon of pistachio while I was watching Fletch, Chevy Chase. I was having a little downtime with the girls. I was watching Chevy Chase, and I ate that pistachio ice cream. But if I'm not careful, if I allow food to become more important than anything else, then it becomes a God, and it comes before the God that I'm serving. Am I helping anybody in the building? The second God of pleasure I want to talk about is a God of sex. True story. There's a pastor in Denver, Colorado, great church, but when snow would come the first Sunday, nobody would come to church. Everybody would go skiing. First Sunday, snow, Saturday, snow came. The pastor got up, knowing there'd be nobody in church. He was mad. He was upset. He told us, I'm going to blast them. I'm going to tell them why they should come to church. Even if, even if there's snow, they should never stay home from church. So she said, I'm not going. So she didn't go. She said, I'm not going to hear you blast the ones that are actually there. Why, why preach the ones that aren't there? Why not bless the ones that are there? So on the way to church, Pastor David, God touched his heart. He changed his sermon from procrastinating in the snow to the intimacy and the joy of romance in marriage. He preached a masterpiece. She went to church with him that night, not knowing that he shifted gears. And one of the, one of the people in church walked up to her and said, man, your, pastor, your husband really preached an interesting sermon today. She, he said, well, I don't know why he preached that. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He fell down the first two times he tried it. We'll explain to all the blondes after the service. God created sex. Let every married person say amen. Let our prophetic single say, one day I'll say amen. There you go. God put that between a husband and a wife. But I, I pulled up some, some statistics here on Google. At the end of 2011, these were the monthly uh, touches. It's, 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 it's scary what you can Google. You can Google literally, you can Google the line of a song and tell you who did the song, and you can even play the song, videotape the song. You, you, can, you can type in a recipe, or you can type in, literally type in anything. There's going to be some kind of response. And if you have Surrey, who has Surrey, you can ask Surrey who the Antichrist is. Oh, yeah, and Surrey, well, you have Surrey? 
Sorry, we'll talk to you. Sorry, we'll walk you through stuff. Well, AOL, AOL, uh, Google at 2011, they did a, they did a, a survey as to how many touches that, that, that AOL, Google got. The number one touch was 338 million touches in a month concerning sex. 277 million touches concerning pornography. 30 million touches concerning Justin Bieber. And 20 million touches concerning God. Justin Bieber got more touches than God. But sex and pornography got 10 times more, almost, almost 12 times more touches than God or Justin Bieber. And it lets us know that we're at a place in our life where there's got to be a balance in sex. There's got to be, I mean, I have people right now in my life that are mad because they're not married. Marriage is a wonderful journey. Uh, no home should be without it. I really mean that though my heart. But, but, but marriage is work. One thing you will learn about the woman, they, they're so intricate and they're so detailed. About the time, Jerry, you figure them out, they change the rules. They, they go to another, and they don't give you an update on your iPad. You, don't, you, you, you can't Google, what in the world is, is this all about? I will tell you, the longer you're married to the same person, the better the bedroom gets, the better your life gets, the better your quality time gets. It's a wonderful, incredible phenomenal thing that God had ordained. But there are people in my life that they can't wait to get married just so they'll have sex. And, and some, somewhere there, there's got to be some kind of balance, some kind of, and I know right now I'm way out there. I'm, I'm so far out on a, I'm so far out, and I got a chainsaw cutting a limb off. We're just going to fall, crash, and burn on this. Don't make sex your God, I guess is the point that I'm making. The number, the number three thing that is very much involved in the, in the, in the, I lost my notes. This sermon is so fresh, I don't even have it memorized. In the pleasure temple is the God of entertainment. The God of entertainment. Um, the average person supposedly watches four and a half hours of TV a day. There are several million homes that every day the television is never turned off. When you think of all of the games, all the video games, all the Pac-Man, all of this, all of that, all of, the, all of the entertainment, everything is about entertainment. Everything, everywhere you go, it's about, it's about playing something or doing something or having a good time. And you know what? There's not, again, God, God created the snow knowing that we were going to make snowballs and snowmen and have fun and laugh and sled. But don't let the God of entertainment come between you and your God. Am I preaching good? Yeah. Let's get on to the, the uh, mental. In this mental temple... I'm out of the, man, I want to get into the, the temple of power. Solomon was a guy who 29 times said there's nothing new under the sun. Solomon, we're not sure if he made it to heaven. We know Hebrews 11 chapter doesn't mention Solomon. We know the Bible says at the end of Solomon's day, he pursued the gods of his wives and abandoned his God. We would like to think that somewhere Solomon repented, made heaven his home, but we're not sure. But in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon tells us there were three things that he pursued. He pursued the God of success, the God of money, and the God of achievement. 
the God of success, the God of money, and the God of achievement. What I've learned in, in however many years that I've been doing this, I've learned that the only difference, Steve, between a workaholic and an alcoholic is the spelling. There, there, are, there are people that are so focused on the God of, that, that money is their God. And here's what Jesus said very clearly. You cannot serve God and money. There's got to be a balance. There's got to be somewhere in your life that you've determined, this is what God has given me. This is what God has blessed me. This is what I'm going to use. It does not hurt to be promoted. not hurt to get a better job. But if success is your God, it will mess you up and it will, it will destroy you. And you'll find yourself at the end. Some people get all they can, sit on the can, but at the end of their life, they realize they've invested absolutely none of the things God gave them to invest in life, and they're miserable. i be very careful what I say. I have a friend. He really is a friend. He lost $28 million when, the mark, when uh, uh, Citibank crashed and burned lost, in one day. In one day, he lost $28 million. And I asked him, I, I, I met him at, at Chop House, and I asked him, I said, will you, will you, will you, will you recover this? And he said, not my lifetime, not my lifetime. And he is, he is a, he's been a real friend to me, a real friend of this ministry, but he is a guy that will tell you, I don't care too much for money because money can't buy me love. And it really can't. It really can't. If you, if, you think that, if you think that money can buy everything, there's things that you cannot buy. And there's two people that never really have a grip. They really don't know if people really like them the way they are. And Steve, that's rich people and beautiful women. A, a beautiful woman says, do you like me because I'm beautiful, or do you like me because you like me? A rich person says, do you like me because you like me, or do you like me because of my money? The Beatles said it well. I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love. This ladder, this ladder that we climb, this ladder called success, if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves getting in such a gambit, in such a game, that it's all about success, that we forget everything else. I preached a sermon one time on kings and priests. I don't know about priests are interceding before God. Kings are going taking the wealth, the wicked, and, and, and transporting the kingdom of God. And there was, a, there was a kid in our life who was very much a part of this church, very much involved in things of God. And I'll say very little because some of you would know if I said one more thing, you would know what I'm talking about. But he took that sermon to mean that he didn't have to come to church anymore, that he was just going to stay home and he was going to make a lot of money. Today, he's broker than he was 15 years ago. They're not going to church anywhere. Their kids are away from God. I believe one of the kids is on drugs. And, and there's, you've, you've got to realize is that Joshua was told this. If you meditate on this book, then you'll be prosperous and you'll have good success. There are people in life that are never happy. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what goal they achieve, no matter what achievement, no matter, they are never happy because they haven't realized that there's a balance. You can't make the God of achievement the God of success, the God of money, more important than the God that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. The word said, I've had a lot of fun. I've been, many of you know that for eight years I traveled the nation and one of the gifts that God gave me was helping churches raise money for their, for their, uh, their, 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 their building projects. Cedar Valley Church of God, I took the first offering for that church. for The new project is over $100,000. And what I would do and I won't do it now, but I ask everybody to get their checkbook out. Everybody get their checkbook out. And look at the last five checks you wrote. And usually by looking at the last, those of you that have checkbook, checking accounts, 
your debit card or whatever. The last five things that you, you can find the category that usually in those last five things that you wrote a check for probably would show where your heart is. Because the Bible says where your heart is, there will be your treasure. And again, it's scary, it's scary to me that sometimes I struggle putting $100 in the offering, but yet I'll go to Walmart without Pastor Ron's attention and buy $200 with the fishing lures, and that's all Angel's fault because he tried to learn how to bass fish, and I'll come home with $200 with lures, and then I'll go to put them in my box. First of all, Pastor David, there's no room in the box for the new stuff. And second of all, I already have all those lures already. I already had them, but there is that spending is addictive. You don't believe me? Hang around Christine. Christine, Christine is one. Christine doesn't shop. She spends. I'm the same way. I don't shop. If you go with me, we're going to buy something. I don't go to look. I don't go to compare. If I feel like I cannot live without it, I'll buy it or hawk a gun or something, raise the money or something. But you've got to, you've got to make sure that there's balance in your life, that money does not become more important than God. The rich man said, I will feed a nation. The rich man said, I'll be like Schindler and I'll save hundreds of Jews. The rich man said, I'll add a gymnasium on the church. No, the rich man said, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns. I'll eat, drink, and be merry. In this house right now, there are people around me that have swimming pools, and I promise you, if our backyard was bigger, we'd have swimming pool 10, 15, 20 years ago. There's nothing wrong with swimming pools. There's nothing wrong with SUVs. There's nothing wrong with bass boats. But over the past 20 years as a senior pastor, I've watched people, Pastor Jeff, come out of li- literally, literally having absolutely nothing, getting a job, getting married, and all of a sudden start getting promoted, start being blessed, and instead of part of their revenue go to finance in the kingdom, it turned out it began to be all about them. And I believe that one day I'm going to stand before God and give, give account to God because here's what he said in Deuteronomy. Don't forget me because I'm the one that gives you power to get wealth. And I believe the definition of prosperity is this. Number one, having enough to meet the needs and desires of your family and having some left over to help somebody else meet their need. That's the definition of prosperity. It's not having two Rolexes. It's not driving all the... And there's nothing wrong with a Rolex. And there's nothing wrong with a nice car. There's nothing wrong with owning an airplane. There's nothing wrong with owning a shopping center, a house on the beach. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as there's balance that your that you're spending equals your giving to the things of God. Now I'm really preaching God good, and I need a hand clap of appreciation for that. The third temple, the first temple was what? What was the second temple? Third temple is what? I told you. It's what makes the world go round. The Beatles said it so well. All you need is love. We are creatures that were created not just to receive love, but to give love. And sometimes if you're not careful, your affection will bite you in the butt. Sometimes, sometimes you, well, I'm, I'm just a huggy kid, I, and I really am. I, we, we, I've got guy cousins in my life that kiss me in the mouth, and they're more manly than any, any, any other man. But that was just the way that we're raised. If you're ever around Chuck Mark, Chuck Mark will kiss me right on the mouth. There's nothing, says he's got a beautiful wife, three beautiful daughters, loves God. He's all macho. But there are some people that are more affectionate than others. I don't know what that's all about. But God has created in this part of our body the ability to give and to receive love. If we're not careful, there's three things in that, that, that temple of love that can get out of order. 
and the first one is romance. And I'll, I'll say this to Hannah and to Christine and everybody in that, in that, like, like, that, that age group right now. We all have a tendency to create what's called a hope chest. How many, how, many, how many ladies in the building can relate? At one time or another in your life, you had a hope chest. Pastor Connie, it, was really, it really was a big thing in my, in my generation that, that mom would start storing up things for my family. I was, I, was, I was still in high school. I had no family, but mom would give me her favorite pillowcases, and there would be some candles, and there, there would be some, and there was stuff in there, and that was, you know, maybe it was little dollies or whatever, but every girl has mentally what they uh, perceive to be a hope check, and there are a lot of girls that are in love with love. They're actually in love with love, and what is so sad in the society that we live in today we are taught, even though that we're going to fall in love and have a hope chest, all of our dreams, all of our hope, nine times out of ten, the possibilities are we're going to crash and burn, get burnt, get wounded, get frustrated, and then try to find another person that's just like the last person that dumped us and left us and trashed us. And, and if we're not careful, we get so, we got, we get so enamored by the, by the fact of romance that when God brings the husband or wife into our life, we miss it. We completely miss it. We would place so much emphasis on looks, money, and I, I realize Pastor Ronna saw those things in me, the looks, the money, the toys, but, I, but I, believe, I believe that there was something else. I believe that as God brought Adam and Eve together, as God, as God brought uh, Sarah and Abraham together, so I believe that God has the right mate, the, the, the perfect mate for you. I mean, they're not gonna do everything right. They're not gonna have it all together but he's going to be a man's man. He's going to be a lady. She's going to be a lady's lady, and God's going to make it happen, and you never know where or when or how God's going to do it. So don't get so overwhelmed by romance that you miss when God actually brings that person into your life. There's, I'll be very careful what I say, but some of us have put so much pressure on God that he's run out of those guys. There was just a few of and now he's, he's, he's having guys go to how-to clinics and self-help and read, read books and getting, you know, going here. <laughs> We're out there again. Let's get back. The, the, the second God in your life, if, if you're not careful, in the temple of love is family. Family is like a spoke wheel. This spoke might represent a daughter this spoke might, spoke might represent an aunt. This spoke might represent a grandpa. And we want this spoke to represent God. God said, no, I want to be the center. Jesus said some really heavy things. If any man hates his mother and father and follows me, he will have the keys to the kingdom. Those are some pretty scary, frightening words. When Pastor Ron and I had just remarried, we were in Tampa, and I was preaching at a, a very strong Christian high school. And it, it went into like a two-week revival, and the, and the principal, the teachers, allowed the service to go as long as it needed to go. And in that, in that, in that, that, that youth, youth revival, every, every kid in that school had given their heart to God but one. And he was of the faith 
that his parents told him if he accepted Christ as his Savior, not to come home. That he was banned from the family that his dad would disown him. That's hard to grasp and comprehend that that still takes place today. But on the last day of that revival, I remember preaching a sermon entitled, Stairway to Heaven or Highway to Hell, and the altar call was given. He came and gave his heart to the Lord. Did his parents disown him? They did. Did they take him back in? I don't know. But I know that at the end of that day, he had to go stay with an aunt and uncle because he decided his relationship with Jesus Christ was more important than his family. I love, I love my girls. I, I, I don't ever want them to move off. I don't ever want them to grow up. I don't ever want them, but they're going to. They're going to. Pastor Ron and I will be together forever, as long as I can remember her name and, and remember where I parked the car. We will be together. She might throw me to the curb, you know, when I, I forget who I am, where, I, where I'm at. I, I love my girls, but I don't, I don't place my girls more important than my God. I don't place my girls more important than my wife because it's God and it's your, it's your wife and your family third, and your job's way down here somewhere. So that help anybody? And that does not offend my girls because they're going to go get their own love. They're going to get married, have their own children, and then realize how important that if you put God first, everything else will fall into place. And I'm, I'm done. This is my only, only conclusion. I wanted to share uh, the last... The last God here. There are two places in life that we have absolutely no clue how nice or how soft or how fancy or how beautiful or how girly or how manly it is. We have absolutely no clue in life. But those that love us will make sure that from the cradle to the coffin, we rest in style. That three-month-old baby has no clue that you bought the finest cradle, the one that on a battery-operated, it moves. It has little things that spin around. The whole thing will spin around if you're not careful. We will put people in coffins that cost $15,000, Two plate, cradle to the coffin. I was witness several years ago, and many of you remember Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson was very open, had a lot of interesting people on his, on his program. And there was an atheist on Johnny Carson's program that was going to a great deal of trouble to try to explain away the miracles of the Bible. And he said the reason that the miracle of the Red Sea was not that big a deal was because it was a misspelling. It wasn't the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea. And the Reed Sea was only two to three foot deep. Well, I pondered, that's even a greater miracle that all the armies of Pharaoh drowned in two or three foot of water. Uh, the loaves and fishes, he said the loaves were bigger in those days. So you see a 12-year-old boy carrying an 800-foot roll. Well, Pastor David, on the next program, Johnny Carson had this genius, this scientist, this guy that had taken all of the potassium, all the niacin, all the iron in the body, in the human body, and, and put a, a dollar amount to it 
and determined that most of us are worth about $15. Now, some of us might be worth $15.50, but pretty much $15. So we've got this $15 man on the Johnny Carson Show wearing this $400 heart shaper and mark suit. He got $300 alligators on. He got a $400 tie on. He goes out in the parking lot. This $15 man gets in a $75,000 Beamer, drives to his $400,000 mansion, sits down on his $1,800 couch, and turns on his $4,000 surround sound stereo. The $14 man hears his $14 wife call them to dinner. They sit down with their two $7.50 children over a $100 steak and $50 or $20 worth of iced tea, and they eat. Then that $14 man takes off that $400 suit, puts on a $200 robe, $300 slippers, and lays down on that special bed, that, that astronaut foam, that, that $3,000, what we have, the posturepedic, and in the middle of the night, he dies. They take that $14 man, they place him in that $500 suit, they put him in a $10,000 casket, they bury him in a $5,000 hole, put a $10,000 pearl stone over him, and then they cover him with the very thing that he was made of. Dirt. Dirt. How silly sometimes we are in promoting all the gods in our life. God said, my hand is not short, it cannot save, my ear is not heavy, it cannot hear but sin has separated you. When, when, when Samuel told Saul that rebellion was as a sin of witchcraft, that's pretty heavy, he also said this, stubbornness is as a sin of idolatry and iniquity. Stubbornness. It's like Jeremiah said, you're drinking from broken cisterns and you're ignoring the water of life. Angels in heaven look down and see this, this river of living water that God wants us to have. And instead of that, we ignore that. And then we drink from dirty, filthy, broken. We put stuff in our brain that will damage us the rest of our life. We'll have bad dreams, bad encounters. We'll say wrong things. We, we, we will fill ourselves with so much junk of the world, not realizing that God's got so many good things for us. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He offers rivers of living water. He, he's not a God that doesn't want you to have any fun, any joy, any happiness, any peace. He wants balance in your life. You, you know why? I don't remember M-I-C. See you real soon. K-E-Y. Because we like you. Help me. M-O-U-S-E. The love of God is that simple. That's how much he loves you. Dad and son, dad loved his kids, loved his family, loved his God, loved his church. Dad was not a workaholic. Dad would leave every day at 5 o'clock, rush to the house, knowing his 12-year-old boy was there waiting. And he had done some incredible things with his son. They'd built some kites. They built some jewelry boxes. Dad had a bandsaw. Dad had a chainsaw. Dad had a screw gun. Dad had all the, all the tools. Son loved his dad. Dad loved his son. One day, they decided that they were going to start a special project. And together, they began to build a boat. 
And it wasn't just any old boat. It was a, a boat out of, out of balsa wood. And it actually had sails, and it actually worked, and everything on that actually worked. I mean, it was really, it was an, an incredible boat, and they had built that together. And then Dad would come home. They would rush to the river, and there they would sail that boat. They would play that boat, and they loved that boat. Dad got an incurable disease and died. Broke the boy's heart, broke the mom's heart. He was a great dad. So the son would go home, get the boat, take the boat to the river, and he would sail the boat, thinking about all the memories of his dad. One day, blinded by tears, reflecting on dad, he wasn't paying attention, and the boat got in the current and got swept to sea. Cried, 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 went through a season of depression, miserable, lost his dad, lost the one thing that they had done together that meant so much to both of them. Later in the year, around September, October, walking down the, it was a small, small city, and it didn't have pawn shops, it had antique stores. And walking past this antique store, he looked in the window, and lo and behold, there in the window was the boat that he and dad had built. He ran in the store, and he told the proprietor, Mister, you, you found my boat. You, and, the, and the man said, what do you mean? He said, that boat, my dad and I built that boat together. It got lost, and, and now you found it. And the man says, well, son, I'm sorry if that was your boat. He said, but son, I paid a lot of money for that boat, and I got to sell that boat. And that little boy looked at that man and said, that's my boat. I'll have it. Went and got a job, 12 years old. The only job he could find was shoveling snow on the sidewalks of that little city. He would go to every single store, and for a quarter, he would shovel the snow to the gutter. Worked all winter long. One day, he walked to the store, pocket full of quarters, enough money to buy that boat. And the man had had some offers on the boat, but he knew that little boy was working that boat. He wouldn't sell it. That boy came with that money. That man was so proud, he took that boat down and put it in the hands of that boy, and he walked out the store, walked down the sidewalk, and he walked down the sidewalk, he looked at the boat, and he says, little boat, you're now twice mine. See, first, I made you, but the second time, I bought you. See, he made us to serve him, and sin separated us from God. So he died. He died that he could buy us, as every head is bowed, as every head is closed. Bought with the price. What a price. He's not a jealous God to the degree that does not want you to enjoy life. He's not a jealous.